I'm a final year Master of Divinity student, and I'm just really glad to be here. Uh, thank you. This could be my last opportunity uh, to share a message with you all before some big megachurch in London, England, or Australia, or Los Angeles snatches me up full time, so you better listen carefully. Um, seriously, though, when Professor Blythe asked me if I might be interested in offering a sermon sometime this winter, um, I gladly accepted. I thought of a verse from Philippians that has become one of my favorites. He who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. It's from chapter 1, verse 6. In the summer of 1992, I know Andrew, Ajay, Jeremy, it was a long time ago. CDs and everything, Brian Adams, Bruce Springsteen, they were great years. You guys might be, uh, you might have missed out on something, but in 1992, I just finished my first year at Acadia University and I moved back to Oakville, the town I grew up in, about 30 minutes from downtown Toronto. I spent that summer working in construction. I had a friend in the Toronto area from Acadia whose family had season tickets for the Toronto Blue Jays. I caught a few games that summer. It was a good summer to watch the Jays. They were on a roll that led to their first World Series championship that fall in 1992. And one more the next year, 1993, back-to-back -back World Series. Not bad for a team that had only joined the majors 15 years prior to that, 1977. The seats my friend's parents had were six rows up from third base. I saw a lot of good baseball that summer. But there was one thing I didn't see, something I've never seen, a no-hitter. Most of you know what a no-hitter is, I'm sure. When the same pitcher starts the game, and he finishes the game without the other team getting even one hit against him, unless you're talking about a combined no-hitter. Anyone that likes baseball will tell you what a feat this is. There have only been 305 no-hitters since baseball began in 1876. That's two a year for the last almost 150 years. Nolan Ryan holds the record with seven no-hitters. Along with great pitching, these guys get a lot of good help during those nine innings. Some amazing defensive plays that make it possible for them to get that no-hitter. And in life, just like baseball, we sometimes don't know how things are going to finish when we start out. But praise be to God, because he does. Now that I only have a few months left of school, it's really hard to believe, actually. Um, I look back at my first year at ADC in that winter semester of 2017. I had a class with our former president, Dr. Harry Gardner and Dr. John Stewart, who taught us our spiritual formation class. I felt very fortunate to be part of something special like that. It was a great winter of learning. And during those winter months, there were two verses that really stood out to me. There were two verses that found a permanent home in my heart. One was John 14, 26, where Jesus comforts his disciples, saying, The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The other verse was Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul encourages the saints in Philippi to be confident 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul begins his letter to the church in Philippi with these words, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Paul begins his letter the way he begins many of his letters, with love and truth, words of confirmation, reminding the people he writes to that they are God's chosen people, the saints, the holy ones, those whom God has set apart to do the work God has prepared for them. He offers the usual salutations of grace and peace with the reminders of the love they share in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Philippian believers in AD 61, and three years later in AD 64, the Apostle Peter, leader of the church in Jerusalem, wrote to the people of the Diaspora, those Christians who had been scattered all over the Roman world. In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter writes to his fellow Christians, reminding them that they too were a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that they might declare the praises of him who called them out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter and Paul were both onto something that I think God wants us to be onto as well. We are a holy people. We are God's children who have been set apart to do the work God calls each of us to walk into with him. Paul spoke to the saints in Philippi about being confident in their trust of God. Paul mentions Christ Jesus, or the Lord Jesus Christ, seven times in 11 verses. I think there must be something to this. I think Paul wanted to remind everyone at the church in Philippi who they belonged to and who was at work in their lives. Paul called them the saints in Christ Jesus who were to receive grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was reminding his brothers and sisters in Christ that he had been praying for them and that he sincerely thanked God for the partnership they shared in, that of the gospel of Jesus Christ from that first day they received Christ until the time he wrote to them. This time that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi was a very frightening time for those first followers of Christ. Emperor Nero had begun throwing Christians to the lions in front of roaring crowds because they were Christians who would not renounce their faith. Nero had begun setting Christians on fire, using their bodies 
as torches along the sides of the roads where people could see them and hear them as they suffered. And to this day, many Christians all over the world in different countries still face deadly persecution because of their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. These were dark, frightening times for Christian people. And yet, Paul spoke with the spirit of love and joy and confidence that was based on his faith in Christ. Paul expressed this joy countless times throughout this letter, speaking of a joy and confidence that is meant to be experienced by all followers of Jesus. Jesus was the one who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And it is this same Jesus that Paul wanted his people to fix their eyes on. The Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith and the same Jesus who promised that his spirit would speak to us in John chapter 14, verse 26. The apostle Paul, as we know, grew up in the strictest, most diligent study of Jewish law and Jewish practice. He learned all about the law, but what he didn't know was the way or the truth, not until he met Jesus Christ face to face on that road to Damascus. Paul knew that Jesus had claimed him as his own and that all the laws in the world were not enough to secure eternal life for him apart from Christ. Paul was now asking his fellow believers to believe what he believed with all his heart, that Jesus could be trusted to do what he said he would do in the life of his followers, in the life of those who will lay down their life for the one who first laid down his life for us. Paul confirms his heartfelt love for his brothers and sisters, telling them that it is right that he should feel the way he does about them, since he has them in his heart, and that whether he is in chains, which we know he was when he wrote this letter, or whether he was defending or confirming the gospel, they all shared in God's grace with him. This clearly expressed sense of unity, this strong expression of identity and partnership as children of God and co-heirs with Christ, must have given God's people great cause for hope. I hope and I pray that this gives us great cause for hope and joy too, and the renewed sense of commitment to the God who has ever committed to each of us, his servants and his brothers and his sisters and his saints. John Wesley said, we work with God to accomplish his will in our lives that there's always a balance between our faith and the works that God walks into with us, between God's part and ours, between what we do and how we choose to work with God. This walk of faith that God invites us to partake in is just that. It is a walk taken one step at a time, where we learn to rely on God in ever-increasing measure, leaning into God, as much as we can, as often as we can. And I think this is the best news of all. At least this is the way God reveals it to me. We are much, much more than the sum total of our parts. We are much, much more than all of our successes and all of our failures. The Apostle Paul says we are more than conquerors. Paul was convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation could separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are we convinced of this? 
Paul thinks we ought to be, and he knew from personal experience that Christ was faithful. Paul was trying to encourage the Philippians to draw close to Christ, to the one who was our advocate with God the Father, to the one who sits at the right hand of God, praying for us and interceding for us and for the many. We have a new promise and a new covenant, one who offers us forgiveness and reconciliation, and one who promises to finish the work he has started in each of our lives. God is infinitely good. And I'm finding out more and more as I progress through life that God is infinitely faithful. He will see us through until that day of Christ Jesus. He promises to do so. There have been a lot of great pitchers in the history of the game of baseball. Some great starting pitchers, guys like Roger Clemens, Catfish Hunter. I just love that name, Catfish Hunter. Great pitcher too. Greg Maddox, Pedro Martinez. There've been some great relief pitchers, Goose Gossage, Rolly Fingers. Rolly Fingers, eh? Sounds more like one of those tough guy mobsters like Tony Tutos or Frankie the Thumb, Louie the Hammer, and Rolly Fingers. There've been some great closers in baseball too. Dennis Eckersley, Tom Hankey, Mariano Rivera, the Yankees closer with the most saves of any major league pitcher ever. 652 times he closed out a game. That's a lot of saves. I know a guy who has more saves than all these guys put together. I know a guy who started more games, a guy who has provided more relief along the way, and a guy who always closes out in style. His name is Jesus Christ. Sorry, Mariano, but Jesus is the greatest closer ever. He's the one with the most saves. He's the greatest starter, the greatest finisher, and the greatest everything in between. He is the great I am and the one who never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm not even that big a baseball fan, to be honest. I love going to a baseball stadium, getting caught up in the excitement of things, getting a hot dog and a Coke. But I much prefer golf or soccer. I'd love to see a professional football game, soccer game, go to St. Andrews to watch the British Open, or go to Augusta, Georgia someday to watch the Masters for a couple days. Maybe I will someday. But in the meantime, I think the present kingdom that Jesus inaugurated here on earth is where my focus will be. Looking to God and his plans for my life, which might include a trip to St. Andrews or Augusta, Georgia. I heard several good things from God my first year back in the fall of 2016. I heard our God whisper something that I think I really needed to hear that fall. I heard God say to me, perfectly clearly, quietly, in a way that only God could do it. God said, I love you. Three simple words that best express themselves on the, on the cross upon which he died for us. I think our God was reminding me of his great love for me, for my family, and all the people that he calls to himself. God was promising that he would be with me on the journey. 
God's not a quitter. I'm sure he doesn't want me or any of you to be a quitter either. We're in pretty deep, I think, everyone. There's no turning back. God loves us. He's called us. He's chosen us. We're his. So let's remind ourselves to slow down. Take a deep breath. And always remember that God is with us. God is for us. And God is forever, Emmanuel. He's the God who began a good work in each of our lives. And God is the one who will see it through to completion until that day of Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul had the pleasure of expressing his thanks to the people at Philippi and to encourage them in their faith. I think Paul did a fine job of it. He was inspired by God's spirit after all. One day, about two or three years ago, I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Allison Trites, a retired New Testament studies professor from ADC. After our community lunch in the Langley room, Dr. Trites told me something I will always remember. Dr. Trites told me with a warm, sincere smile, it won't be easy, but there'll be joy along the way. I think I needed to hear that. And I think I'll take Dr. Trite's word on that and know that he who began a good work in my life will see it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm grateful for all the beautiful people who have helped me along the way these last four years. There have been a lot of them. Thank you. I'd like to encourage new students, new members of the community to know that you are part of a beautiful community here at ADC. I thank God for your faithfulness for all your hard work for the gospel. Some of you students, you'll be working full-time or part-time, going to school. Life might throw you a curveball or two along the way. Throw them right back. It'll be tough at times, but pray and ask God to see you through. Ask God to help you know with all your heart that he has called you, that he set you apart, and that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is ever so good, and God is ever so faithful. Amen.